The 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, better known to us as the 26th Conference of the Parties, or COP26, finished just under a month ago at the time of recording. Delayed for a year due to an unprecedented pandemic, it saw participation from 197 countries, including the personal attendance of 120 heads of state to Glasgow. To say that this was a big deal would be understating the matter. This went beyond the governmental. Big Business was in attendance both to showcase their green revolution as well as to pledge their support for the ambitious targets mooted before the doors first opened. And how ambitious they were. The headline target was to get global warming limited to 1.5 degrees by the end of the century, a figure that has become accepted as the tipping point for the worst effects of climate change. But there were far more people present at COP26 than the governments and the businesses. As they are the ones who will have to bear the brunt of climate change, a contingent of youth was invited, both from the UK and from across the world. One such invitee was Wellington College's own Georgiana, who spoke at length to Dukebox after she returned from the conference. So it's been a, an incredible experience, obviously. So can you tell me a little bit about sort of about how your involvement in the event came to be? So basically I got told by someone at school that I could apply to go to Glasgow for COP26 and obviously I'd heard about the event but I thought there was no way I was ever going to be able to attend it and so then I applied and it took me quite a long time but I thought I definitely wouldn't get it and then I got an email a few weeks later saying that I'd gotten and now then I was going up to Glasgow in the holidays which was so exciting. It must have been a fantastic experience, I'm sure. I imagine you were one of the, the younger people who was there. Is, is that a fair so, assumption? Well, obviously, the UK School Sustainability Network is about representing the youth. So it was 20 of us all about the same age. But in Glasgow, yeah, there was much more, like more older people. We were like a few of the representatives of the youth. But what people have said is really good about this COP is that the youth were represented like much more than normally. So although there weren't many of us, there were more than usual. Did you get much chance to, to speak to the, the people who've had lots of experience of these COP events before? Yeah, I spoke to like so many interesting people who'd been, some people who'd been to every single COP, um, which was ages ago. And it was fascinating to hear about how the COPs had developed and how this one compared to other ones, because obviously it was my first COP, so I didn't really know what to expect at all. But I think... People definitely said it had progressed a lot since the earlier COPs they'd been to. So, as I said, the youth were represented more, Indigenous populations were represented more, and also there were more like private sector businesses involved in like the Blue Zone negotiations. And do you think it was a a good thing for more of these voices to be represented within the the COP meetings? Yeah, definitely. So, looking at the youth, obviously, it's key I would say um, for the youth's voice to be represented because we are the future generation who are going to be taking on these issues and also we can provide really like interesting new perspectives to these politicians and I spoke to some politicians at COP who said they really valued the voice of the youth and it really helped motivate them so when it was like things were getting hard and deals are hard to make having the youth behind like them backing them up and urging them on was really helpful and then in terms of having indigenous more like representatives from indigenous populations there, that's also really important because what I learned while I was there is that indigenous populations, lots of them, they live like very traditionally, but the way they live is much more sustainable naturally. 
So while like our modern way of living isn't very sustainable at all, it's very like fast fashion, just like disposing of everything and it's not an environmentally friendly way of living, they have like their attitudes to nature are very like positive and they like respect it much more. And so maybe learning more about how they live and having them represented there was really helpful because we can think of how we can combine our modern ways of living with their ways of living in order to like change everyone's perspectives and like their attitudes towards nature so we can live with it and incentivize us to protect the planet, if you see what I mean. And can you tell us a little bit about your involvement uh, in the event? Yeah, so basically the UKSSN, our goals are to educate people and like communicate more of the messages about the environment and what we learned from COP. So when we're actually there, we met, for example, like the head of one of the trade union, like education trade unions called Kevin Courtney. And he, we had a discussion with him about including climate education more in the curriculum because obviously we have such a valuable perspective in education and so he was listening to all our views about how we should include climate change education like more broadly in the curriculum so not just in geography or not just in science but in lots of other subjects as well so people get a really like rounded education of it and also it's really important that a lot of climate education at the moment is very much looking at the like devastating consequences of climate change and obviously you need to be aware of those and like acknowledge them and that's valuable but also it'd be really more constructive if we looked at it from more of a positive perspective so looking at how we can think of solutions as like the future generation in order to combat climate change because the planet is so important so maybe inspiring people more and l- helping them like understand the importance of nature and how we can take on the challenge and it's not all going to be like devastating if we do the right thing so looking at it from more of like a hope perspective rather than making everyone terrified and then another thing we talked about with him was the kind of mental health aspect of climate change so something that I talked to a lot of people about at COP was climate anxiety so our generation of been particularly suffering from this where because as they say there's so much coverage and like awareness about all the consequences which we're gonna have to face in the future and so we're talking about having like teachers trained to help people with climate anxiety because it's not a problem which can be like solved so easily obviously and it's gonna continue getting worse and so yeah our main things were providing more hope less fear in the education system and then also while we're at COP trying to use social media as much as possible because it's the best way to like spread ideas around the youth and like inspire them and empower them to act and make changes to their lives. COP26 did not pass without controversy. Indeed, it hadn't even started before rows reared their heads over leaders arriving via private planes. Countries were implicated through leaked documents as trying to exert pressure to downplay the need to move away from fossil fuels. This, alongside a perceived reluctance to act, led to enormous climate protests that refused to dim down throughout the conference. At Wellington College, ESOC, the student-run environmental discussion group, watched on with great interest. We spoke to Zara and Ved, members of ESOC, about their initial response to COP26, as well as their perception of the protests that were taking place. I think I was really excited going into it because it felt as if changes were finally being made, especially considering, you know, we're on like COP26, so there must have been ones before that, but how come... We haven't heard about those. So it felt good that finally 
there was media attention coming to it. But I think I had quite a lot of anxiety going into it because we are coming up to this point of quote unquote, like no return. And I felt as if something had to change. Yeah, I agree. I was I was quite anxious about it because I really wanted something to come out of it. And with Greta at the start saying things like all of the blah, 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 I just thought maybe if that actually happened, it would be quite worrying for the world and our planet. So I was quite anxious, but I think afterwards I felt a bit better. Like I'm quite happy because it was a step on the road to achieving a more sustainable way of living. You mentioned Gressu in there. Obviously, a, a large part of the the build up to this was focused on the protests surrounding uh, surrounding the climate. Obviously, with the, the Friday schools protests up in Scotland and with the Insulate Britain protest that started really taking hold right before COP twenty six. As people who sort of who've been on the outside of that, what's your perception of those protests been? Well, I'm quite positive to the protests. Like I myself have been in one of the Friday protests back when they were sort of initially becoming a thing. And, you know, like as long as they are peaceful, I find them to be productive in a sense. And they can be a really supportive environment because you see people uh, have these opinions of me and we're in this together. It's not just me shouting in, into the void, basically. And I think especially as young people, protests are so important because we don't get listened to otherwise and we're just ignored. And even things like writing letters to people in power sometimes doesn't really achieve anything. But as we've seen, we've got like large scale media coverage, which means change is happening and people are listening up. Yeah, I thought... The protests in Scotland were quite important, uh, especially in just raising awareness since there was such large protests with so many people from all over the world. Uh, and it was kind of something with a sense of unity for our generation, which I thought was quite nice in raising awareness and kind of just encouraging people to feel more involved, to take kind of a bit of pride in the planet and what people are trying to do for it. Meanwhile, inside the SEC arena in Glasgow, the effects of the protests were not lost on the delegates, as Georgiana explained. I think the protests were vital while all the agreements were taking place because the politicians and all leaders from all around the world, they really needed to have like some all these people behind them um, urging them on and make these ambitious targets. I think if there'd been no protest, it would have been really unnatural because at the end of the day, they're doing what like they should be supplying our like desires and like what we want them to do. And so having all these people come together and protest, I think it was really beneficial. And everyone I spoke to had been to the protests came back like really positive and inspired as if we can like come, it shows we can come together. All the public can come together in Glasgow and like other protests happening around the the world so the global leaders should as well and they should do all they can to listen to the public and what we want and obviously you know you've touched on some of these already uh, but what were the, the the major topics that were that you ended up discussing with some of the people that you met at, at cop 26 so another thing i looked at was climate justice i hadn't been so aware of this before so basically 
as like a developed country, the UK, we were the first to industrialise. And so our cumulative emissions are very high compared to other countries around the world. And so we really need to be leading the movement to reduce our emissions. And then there are the developing countries who are obviously part of these agreements as well. And they need to reduce their emissions as well. But often this is unfair because they haven't been able to go through industrialization, like get to the stage where they have the money to be able to like focus on this. And so I think it's really important that developed nations see their the responsibilities they should have to these developing countries to allow them to have a sort of there needs to be a just transition into this like new green world and like the green um, with like green jobs opening up and everything. That's really important that we consider the needs of the developing countries. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up. I was while I was doing some research for this podcast, I found a, a stat that came out from COP26 that the in 2030 the richest one percent will have 30 times the emissions that normal people will be expected to have if we were to keep global warming to that that fabled 1.5 degrees and it's it's really interesting sort of hearing you talk about how developing countries uh, will be possibly hit the hardest by that especially because they're in the areas quite often where climate change will have the worst effect uh, and i suppose a lot of the uh, the controversy around uh, COP26 came around the talk of, of loss and damages. Um, do you think that was handled well? Well, one talk which particularly made me think about this was from someone from Panama. So they were part of the first indigenous population, uh, the first population of the world to be displaced by climate change. And it was really like shocking to hear, as I talked about, about how that affected his mental health. But what I think was really shocking was the fact that they had been—they were one of the na- three nations in the whole world who um, had they'd given off zero emissions, yet they were suffering first and suffering the most. Uh, so I think they really do need to be careful about how they ta- the governments tackle these issues, and they need to be aware of the responsibility they have to help these developing countries. So I wasn't fully happy with how the like whole loss and damage day was handled. But at the same time, my overall outlook on COP26 is quite positive in terms of how it's the first time in years all these like leaders have come together to discuss climate change. Like So much awareness has been raised, even us just talking about this now. So I think it had an overall positive impact, but that wasn't such a highlight. <laughs> And and how was the the mood and the sort of, and the atmosphere between all of the delegates there? Because obviously we we heard a lot in the media about about what the the general public thought about it. But obviously the delegates have a very different view. They have other things they need to try and balance there. They have their their diplomacy they need to try and maintain because it's a, such a collaborative effort to try and tackle this. So so how was the the mood between all of those delegates? I think. It was quite, it was very difficult for them because I had so many stories of people, delegates being like up all night trying to like resolve conflicts between all these like different countries because it's so hard to make these collaborations. But in the green zone, definitely, um, there was a really positive atmosphere that we were making change, we're progressing, even smaller like level agreements doesn't necessarily have to be like the government level. There were lots of like businesses, academics, scientists all meeting, and then those connections lead to like greater um, collaborations. So 
the businesses then have like a less of an impact on the planet. And so it was hard for the delegates and hard for the governments to come up with ambitious enough targets and get them passed, as we saw like the results of COP. But the general atmosphere was really positive. And other people I spoke to said that who had like come from the blue zone said that when they came back home and like turned on the TV, they would be like shocked to see all this negative coverage when they just come from this like hub where everyone had been so enthusiastic and like they felt really empowered by the whole um, atmosphere. The final agreements were, as perhaps should have been expected, a compromise. With so many different countries and corporations having their say, it was a great achievement to reach an agreement at all. Nevertheless, it fell a long way short of the targets that had been set before the conference started. So from the outside, how did Zara and Ved feel about it? I think they weren't, like, massively something completely different. Like, it was always something that most of the things that they decreed upon had been, like, basics, like tidying up the Paris Agreement and what that entails. I think... For example, the phasing out of coal. No, the re- reduction in coal. There was a lot of drama around all of that. But I think it was a good step. And I'm happy with the news that they're going to meet every year to kind of ensure that people are continuing on their promises and goals. I think that's a good positive to come out of it. But I think they should probably have done a little bit more. And I understand why countries like India and China were trying to reduce how harsh the word the wording of the agreements was with development and i think the developed world really needs to show that they're going to provide the money because that's quite an important incentive but yeah i think most of the agreements and things that they decided upon were positive but maybe a bit more would have been greater yeah i think i'd agree with that I mean, I think I'd be a bit more drastic with the idea of the phasing out issue because it can, if it's if you're not careful, it can get a bit wishy-washy and be like, oh, we're going to do it by 2030. Oh, wait, now it's 2031. Now we're just reducing and like having targets that they're already meeting. So for the sake of saying that we've met targets rather than actually making a change. But I think it still definitely has been positive. From inside Glasgow, Georgiana had a very different context to the agreements that were reached at the end of the conference. Did that different context give her a different view on the Glasgow Climate Pact? Yeah, so I was definitely a bit disappointed at first because, I mean, I don't think I was ever going to be fully happy and fulfilled because the government always have to be more ambitious because we have so little time and it's so it's such an urgent issue. There's always more you can do. But then I kind of thought about it and thought well we've come a lot further if you look at for example there was a cop 15 i think in copenhagen that was a complete failure no deals like happened at all basically and so it was quite a relief to be honest when i came back that we had like progressed and there was a lot of positives so i was quite happy obviously it was quite distressing to see Alex Sharma crying about like the coal deal being watered down but I still think it's a success and I think there's like you just have to look at it from an optimistic perspective and see that we have made a lot of progress even if it's not enough I think the government might kind of be sidelined in the future as international businesses take over by reducing the impact so it's our role as consumers to encourage this these businesses to reduce their emissions because if 
we are, like they need to follow what we want and like our needs and so if we push them to do this then they'll reduce their emissions and they might even end up having more of an impact than these governments do so of, although these agreements are so important and like influential businesses are also going to take on more of an important role in the future yeah and it's interesting you bring that up because i was reading over the I want to say it was over the summer, I really can't remember at this point, but it was something about that um, there were talks in the US about uh, Facebook, which is now rebranded to Meta, and Amazon being uh, offered seats on sort of important US governmental bodies in exchange for, for governmental oversight, which is really interesting, tying it back into what you were saying about businesses potentially being sort of the, the next frontier for the, the fight against climate change. How do you think that could go well I, i'm hopeful because i think they're the next ones who really need to work on it and some of these companies which were like showcasing in the green zone they were doing such amazing things and there was clearly like a lot of thought going into it, and they were progressing and a lot of work was going on but as you say companies like amazon and, and things like that, i think there's a lot of work which is going to need to be done but they have such an influence so they really have the potential to do like great things but it's just going to be very difficult to progress with these huge like multinational companies is there any part of you that's worried from from my understanding of the green zone there were lots of sort of uh, of people and displays there sort of showcasing various green technologies uh, evolutions revolutions uh, and what have you is there any part of you that's worried that it's all just what's what's now being called greenwashing so yeah, this is interesting that you mentioned that. I think there was quite a bit of greenwashing in the Greens and there was some, although like in generally there were some really interesting projects who were genuinely having a difference. There were a few major companies who had kind of just for COP sourced out some green stuff they do or like a little display to try and prove that they're doing something green and it, yeah, they need to be called up for that I would say. But in general, there was some amazing like technology that I saw, like vertical farming ideas and things like that, which will have a difference. But greenwashing is a serious problem, which we're going to need to combat. And um, we need to criticise the companies who are like doing that. And I suppose the ones who are who could be uh, and obviously I can't speak objectively because I wasn't there who who could be the most guilty of this and who have the most to lose for it are the fossil fuel companies who it was widely reported throughout the conference had the largest delegation of anyone that that attended COP26 how do you think they handled it obviously they have a very different set of priorities the world needs saving but they are they are there to appeal to their shareholders uh, and and sustain their profits so so how do you think it was it was handled there so the problem is i think it's hard to completely cut out these companies because they're such a fundamental part of our society you can't just completely remove them and also they have been doing sort of like invest they have a lot of money to invest and they've been in some of these companies have been investing in like green ideas or green technology but obviously the whole fossil fuel industry is completely against climate change and so i think these companies that there, there needs to be a big shift they need to like completely change their whole 
like their whole goals and like their aims and move away from fossil fuels like invest in much more green um like more green businesses and stuff but yeah the i was quite surprised when i heard about how many fossil fuel companies were present but they they are going to be really critical in the whole climate change um movement because we need to tackle them because they're the main causes so we need to do something and tackle them to reduce the emissions so i think they have to be there but i think it's so hard like such a difficult topic and like it's hard to solve georgiana was not the only person looking towards big businesses to take bolder steps when i asked zara and ved who they thought should be leading the charge they had a very similar idea to her I personally think it's big corporations, big companies, transnational companies, those sorts of ones that really need to be held accountable as it needs to have a sort of trickle down effect, especially as the majority of people, there are so many situations, you know, maybe they can't buy something that's more sustainable. It's too expensive for them. They don't have the ability to because of location. But the fact if the supply change that that then changes everyone, whereas one individual might not have that much of an impact. And, you know, it's even been shown that if just one, like, billionaire or person, you know, hugely up there made a difference, that would be so much more than one single person in the normal public being, like, completely zero waste. And especially thinking about companies, you take into account how the fact that they are getting these like low prices is because they are abusing our environment they're abusing their workers those sorts of things and those are the ones that need to be held accountable because they're kind of thinking like profit 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 whereas the general person doesn't really intentionally want to cause harm it's just out of necessity or a product it's product of their environment literally yeah, I completely agree. I think the corporations are the most significant stakeholder since you've got all the people, like, people can try to encourage tr- change and they can influence the trends which companies try to capitalise on. But I think in the end, the companies have the choice whether they want to change what they're doing or not and they have slightly bit more importance compared to the government because they're all of these big corporations which are over so many different countries so they have much wider impact than say just one country acting in a particular area. Earlier Georgiana mentioned the diversity that was on display during COP26. It brought to mind ideas that often float around for monumental generational moments such as these that the people making the decisions don't have to live with them for as long so they act with their own interests at heart instead. I was therefore very interested to find out if she thought that COP26 had represented her well. I was actually quite surprised by how much like my voice was respected. I think there were lots of other pe- like members of the youth as well, as I say, and there was lots of like media cov- coverage on us as well. So like people, like young children at home watching us feel they're like they're represented as well. So I think there was that was definitely a positive. Another really interesting person I met to do with that is the chair of the UN Youth Advisory Group called Nizreen El Same. So she'd managed to get really high up in the UN and get her voice respected. And she now has a huge influence representing the youth in order to encourage the UN to do things which we want. And so I think, as I say, it's so important that we're represented. And I felt I felt like we were, which was... Um, Not what I expected, actually, to be honest. 
Zara and Ved took a more cautious approach in their assessment of that issue. I think that sort of almost gets into a whole separate issue because you definitely see people from a certain demographic being represented, particularly depending on like the country. But it's almost like a privilege sometimes to be able to talk about climate change rather than being the person who is facing the problems. So I think it's quite a convoluted issue to bring up. So it's kind of hard to say whether our age group as the whole or that sort of thing has been represented. But I know that representation is getting is improving. Yeah, well, I mentioned it before with the speaker, the young person from one of the island nations. I thought there was a lot of representation from uh, younger people, which I thought was really good. And obviously the protests were kind of surrounding the whole the whole event. And so I think in terms of who's speaking, the representation was fine. Yeah, it's kind of tricky because obviously there aren't young politicians, but I think they did take a lot more about our generation into consideration than before. Now that COP26 is over, there could be a temptation to relax and think that the hard work is done. But the fight against climate change is one that we all need to take part in, a fact which Georgiana was keen to emphasise. So I think it's really, really important that everyone gets involved. So there are so many small changes you can make to your daily life to reduce your impact on the planet. And often people leave it to the government to lead the way, which is, as I've talked about lots, the government are clearly important. But we on an individual level need to do all we can as well, because it's our future that we're deciding now and so small things like changing your diet so you don't have to become completely vegetarian or vegan just reducing your meat consumption a bit and making a conscious effort to do that incorporating renewable energy more around like college for example is another good way to move forward using less single-use plastic just on a daily basis we live in a world where everything's kind of disposable and I think it's important that we invest more in like long-lasting items and another thing to do with that is fast fashion. So I think you just need to be more conscious on a daily basis about all the different items you're using and how you can just do small things to reduce your impact on the planet, like washing your hands with like cold water, wasting less water, using like secondhand clothes. There are just so many small things. So... And it doesn't, you don't have to be like a hero to do it or anything. So making sure everyone takes away like different ideas from COP about how they can change their personal routines and like daily lives in order to have less of an impact. Because we are going to have to adapt and change as the consequences of climate change become more serious. But the more we do now, the better the consequences are going to be. And so we should all just work together to do as much as we can. And... Everyone who does something can influence another person to do something, so it kind of has knock-on effects which can be really beneficial. So don't like underestimate the importance of your own actions and the influence you can have on others as well. Basically, it's just the overall message to everyone in general. We've heard the phrase climate anxiety come up a few times during this programme. There's a lot of concern about what might be in store for us on Earth. As a final question to Zara and Ved, I asked them how they felt about the future and got a firmer answer than I was expecting. I think we have to be hopeful. 
because if we're not hopeful, then we've already given up essentially. But I would be lying if I said that I wasn't slightly scared or slightly anxious. But if we continue to see this progress um, and this change, we've been seeing it in the past few years, especially if we think about like diets and the way the attitude to being more plant-based has become far more positive. I think we can have hope. Yeah, I just wanted to quote the guest speaker from the Fireside Lecture last week. She said, it's too late to be pessimistic. And I thought that was that was really relevant because we can't sit crying in the cooler. We need to like act right now. And the only way people would be encouraged to do that is if they're hopeful for the future. As this programme comes to a close, I look back on what my view was before COP26. Some of the problems have been well documented, of course, but with a smaller focus on climate change beforehand, it perhaps didn't strike me as clearly as it does now just how precarious the situation is. Undoubtedly, this enlightenment, this uncomfortable truth as it was once called, creates a not small amount of worry and fear. But without that enlightenment, we would not have the encouragement and determination to tackle the problem. Certainly, if we have people as passionate as those who spoke at and about COP26 leading the way, there is surely a way back from the brink. I'd like to thank Georgiana for giving her experiences from inside the conference, as well as Tazawa and Ved for their insights as part of ESOC. I've been Mr Ferguson, and you've been listening to a special production from Dukebox Radio.